to the Payroll Podcast with your host, Nick Day of JGA Recruitment, Specialist Payroll Recruiters. To a special edition of the Payroll Podcast. I'm delighted to be joined once again by Helen Hargreaves, Associate Director of Policy at the CIPP. It was only a couple of weeks ago that we met for the last podcast. So it was indeed. Delighted to be with you again, Helen. We are here for a special one-off podcast to talk about the latest budgets. As we know, Philip Hammond has brought it forward by three months just before Halloween to deliver the latest 2018 budget speech. In the last budget, before we exit the EU, the Chancellor Philip Hammond appeared to relish his delivery of the 2018 budget speech so much so that he took over an hour to deliver it and even found some time for a little bit of toilet humor it of course earned him the biggest groan of the entire budget statement so i won't give you any more of those kind of jokes right now but we all know that his task is not an easy one we've got brexit around the corner coming up with a budget just before or during some very complex Brexit negotiations must have been incredibly complex but we are assured by fiscal phil as he's called himself that the future is very bright for Britain. Apparently this budget will pave the way for a brighter future. So what I'd like to find out today is the CIPP's view on that brighter future, on the budget. I thought we'd just kick off, if we may, Helen, with a couple of highlights that you've picked out from the 106-page budget document. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, what, what's interesting is that uh, there's a difference between what Theresa May said about austerity and what Philip Hammond said about austerity. Sure. According to uh, Philip Hammond, austerity is coming to an end, but Theresa May, only a couple of weeks ago, said that austerity has ended. So it was always going to be interesting to see what Philip Hammond did and how he was going to start bringing that about. Jeremy and Corbyn jumped on that as well, of course. Absolutely, he did, yes. And what probably was one of the biggest surprises really was that the um, expected increase to the personal allowance and the higher rate thresholds that we'd been told were going to come in from April 2020 are now coming in next April. They're coming in a year early because the uh, Office for Budget Responsibility has said that we're doing better than they thought that we would. Well, that's a good start to the to the budget report. Absolutely. What were the changes made to national living wage and uh, national minimum wage? The national minimum wage and national living wage are always, the rates are always recommended by the Low Pay Commission and it's usual that the Chancellor will accept those recommendations, not always. George Osborne a couple of years ago, just before the general election funnily enough, went higher than what the Low Pay Commission um, set for some of the, uh, recommended for some of those rates. But this time Philip Hammond has accepted everything that the Low Pay Commission have suggested for national living wage and national minimum wage Fantastic. and we are on target to meet the um, suggestions for 60% of median income by 2020. So. Were the CIPP involved in any of the consultations regarding minimum wages? We are. Um, we work quite closely with the Low Pay Commission. They get in touch with us quite a lot, and we always survey our members because it's never just as simple as saying, um, "Well, you know, how much do people need to live?" Sure. Because you've also got to look from the employer's side of how much can they afford to pay without Absolutely. it having a, a detrimental effect on the it's business. It's already the biggest expense, isn't it? Of Absolutely. Most and so the Low Pay Commission do take a very pragmatic line through that because if they set the rates too high potentially employers might have to lose some staff so they've got to have that balancing act and they do look at has there been any effect on the um, number of young people who are employed or the number of apprentices they look to see well what has the increase to this rate what effect has it had 
on uh, be- businesses' behaviours. And w- our members play a big part in that. Their responses get fed into the Low Pay Commission. Great. Well, if they've been involved, it's been really positive news for, for, for many of those living on the on national minimum wage. Which Absolutely. Is news. You mentioned apprentices. There's been some changes as well to smaller firms that are taking on apprentices. Can you talk to us briefly about, about mm. what those changes are? It's very sort of in people's minds about the larger employers that pay the apprentice levy. They, they pay this money out and the idea is if you've paid the money out, it goes into your um, digital account, you might as well make use of the money by sure. taking an apprentice on. But for smaller employers, they don't pay the apprentice levy and uh, so they can't yet access uh, training through the, the uh, digital account. They will access apprenticeship training and they get co-investment. So they will pay for 10% of the cost of the training that apprentice and the government co-invest the remaining 90%. That's the current model? That's the current model and um, the changes are now that um, employers, small employers will only have to pay 5%. Excellent. There has been a delay in uh, allowing small employers access to a digital account and that delay hasn't changed as a result of yesterday but that co-investment model will still go on anyway so they still get well i think that's really positive as well for those that may have listened to my podcast with ian holloway which was very much focused on the paywall apprenticeship scheme uh, for those that are interested in you know, taking on a payroll apprentice, and this is now a more affordable thing to do Absolutely for a small business. So a really yeah. positive thing for the yeah. payroll industry there as well. Fantastic. Now, we are going to go into a lot of this in more granular detail. So for those interested in what the new rates are going to be for the national living wage, national minimum wages, we'll have a look at those a little bit later into the podcast. One of the um, package or measures announced was to tackle tax avoidance. And there was obviously Big headline news talking about universal credits. Yeah. Are you able to elaborate on, on a couple of those points briefly? From a tax avoidance perspective, it's possibly one of the things that has irked payroll professionals and, and stakeholders is the link between off-payroll working and it always seems to be lumped up with tax avoidance. Okay. And and it, it's not really considered that at all, not from, not from our world. But... It was always going to come that um, for people who were working under the IR35 arrangements, a couple of years ago, the government said that if someone's going to go work, do some work for a public body, then it would be for the public body to determine whether or not they should the, the tax and national insurance should be taken away from that contractor through pay-as-you-earn or not. We always knew that those arrangements would in some way come across to the private sector because you can't have one rule for one and one rule for sure. the other. So that hasn't come as any surprise, really. We could probably do a whole podcast, not our 35 on its own. We absolutely so could. So watch that space. But we'll go into yes. a little bit more detail on exactly what those changes are absolutely. a little bit later in the podcast, yes. which would be great. And the universal credits was the other headline-making piece of, uh, or announcement, rather, from the budget. The, yes. The uh, universal credits, it's, it's been across every news bulletin, hasn't it, over the, over the past few weeks. And so the Chancellor did give some uh, softening measures, shall we say. So he's increased the, the work allowance and he's also put some money aside for, to help those who are transitioning because that seems to be the biggest problem when you go from sure. one style of benefits across to universal credits. There's always been that gap that's caused problems for 
for the recipients. So hopefully we're going to close that gap a little bit. I think I saw some of the headline figures of families being up to £200 a month worse off. Mm, so hopefully mm. the, some of those changes will help to, to cut that gap. Yeah. Fantastic. Now, for those that haven't seen the budget yet or you're not up to speed, there was a great line in there, which... Uh, Phil Hammond himself said, fiscal Phil says fiscal rules, okay. We're not making that up. He really did say that. But there is a new path for public spending. There's lots of changes. There's lots of information that we're going to try and get through today. Obviously, 106-page budget report is never going to be that easy to, to run through. So we're going to try and make it as accessible and as digestible as possible. As you can expect with a budget announcement the devil is in the detail and that's why i'm sat here with helen who of course is associate director of cipp policy i'm sure that her team will continue to bring you additional news over the coming days beyond this podcast but i think if we can let's crack on and have a look at a bit of the detail i'd like to start if we may helen with the tax rates and thresholds um it's the first thing that comes to mind when you talk about payroll these days is tax mm. so i think it's probably the best place to start Can you give us a little bit more information about the budget and how it relates to income tax, devolved income tax, company cars, vans and fuel, and sort of the the headline pieces that are directly relevant to to a payroll professional? Absolutely. Things that we've already touched on, the personal allowance, which is the point at which people would start paying income tax, is going up to £12,500 from next April, which is a year earlier. And the higher rate threshold, so the uh, point at which you start paying 40% tax, that's going up to um, £50,000 from next April as well. So that is uh, reducing the amount of tax that that quite a significant proportion of the uh, population will pay. Uh, Apparently, so Mr Hammond says, uh, a typical base rate taxpayer will pay £1,205 less in the tax year 2019-20 than they did back in 2010-11. Fantastic. Well, that's a, a really good start. I think he said as well from April 2021, both the personal allowance and the higher rate tax would return to annual increases that are in line with the CPI inflation. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's what he said. Given that... Every year, just recently, we get told that one thing's going to happen and then all of a sudden we get a little present. So you never know. Let's let's see what happens Watch with this that. Face. We'll have to uh, do another podcast next year with we compare differences. Yes. And uh, it, if we look at uh, devolved income tax, we've got some changes coming in for that as well. The Scottish government, they've got the responsibility for setting their own rates and thresholds so what we've talked about now uh, that applies for um, England and Northern Ireland Scotland they will be setting their own rates and thresholds in their budget which is on the 12th of December sure the Welsh government this coming year is when they start to get responsibility for setting their own rates but it works very much like it did for Scotland back in 2016 so the uh, Welsh Government will look at the rates that have been set for the UK as a whole. They will take 10 pence off and then add on in its place. And that's for each specific rate. Okay. And then they'll take 10 pence off and then add on the amount that they think is appropriate. Very handily, they have said so far that they will add on 10, 10 pence. pence. <laughs> yes. <Excellent. laughs> so that does make life much easier for, for payroll practitioners knowing that at least they're going to be the same. And confirmation for that's expected in December as well? It is, yeah. Fantastic. Um, from company cars, vans and fuels, it's it's business as usual for that really. So the um, 
uh, cow fuel benefit charge and the van fuel benefit charge, they are going to uh, increase in line with the RPI or the CPI. Okay. And uh, ooh, the multiplier for the car fuel benefit is going up to 24,100. That's an increase of £700. It is indeed, yes. And the flat rate van fuel benefit charge, I think that also increases? Yeah, the uh, flat rate van, van fuel benefit charge is increasing to £655. And the flat rate van benefit charge is increasing to 3430 There's only a word, one word different in those sentences, but the figures are significantly different. They are, they really are. But they can always re- rewind and re-listen again if you're not too sure. Yeah. Now, obviously, the benefit charges for zero emission goods vehicles is also increasing. Uh, yeah. Obviously, it's a big thing in the government agenda at the moment anyway. What are the changes there? So, for the zero emission goods vehicles, the increase is going up from 40% to 60% of the standard charge from April 2019. And that's the same as what was previously announced. It is, yeah. That one hasn't changed. And for diesel supplements? The the diesel supplement for the company car tax, the appropriate percentage remains at 4%, subject to the maximum appropriate percentage of 37%. Uh, Cars that meet the Euro 6D standard, which is also known as the Real Driving Emissions Step 2, RDE2, they're (laughs) exempt. Okay, fantastic. There were a few documents published alongside the budget statement as well in relation to income tax and uh, and other allowances. Um, I think for the 2019-20 tax year, there were some changes to the marriage allowance and married couples allowance um, and even the blind person's allowance, I think. They were. Do you know what those amounts were? Yes. The marriage allowance, and that is also known as the transferable tax allowance, that is going up to £1,250. The married couples allowance is going up to a maximum of 8915 And the blind person's allowance is increasing to £2,450. Great. So overall, pretty positive for Absolutely. people that, that, that can benefit from those areas. Will that, yep. will that have any major effects for payroll again? Will most of that be programmed in? No. Um, all the allowances and everything always get, get programmed in. Uh, you get the codes across from the revenue and then they just go into the software. Fab, fantastic. Now, we touched upon apprentices. I didn't want to go into too much detail in the, in the opening gambit, if you like, or the opening narrative of the podcast, because I think it's important we give it a little bit more attention here. Um, you mentioned there were going to be some changes to the way that uh, apprentices levy funds are transferred and the way that, mm. that, that businesses make their contributions. Do you mind going into a little bit more detail about what that means for businesses and actually how it could really help small businesses? Yes. Um, again, we... The apprentice levy has always focused on the on the larger employers because they're the ones that pay it. Sure. Um, and we, we've now got to the stage, it's been in long enough, that now um, larger employers who've built up quite a big pot in their digital account to the extent that they can't necessarily spend all the money that's in their pot, sure. they can now start to transfer funds to, to other employers. Usually it would be employers that sort of like in the supply chain or some, you know, a type of employer that they might have some sort of relationship yep. with. And so from April 2019, they'll now be able to transfer up to 25% of the funds to pay for a, a, a apprenticeship 
ship training for other employers that are in that supply chain. That's a real positive then for the small suppliers in this supply Absolutely chain. Absolutely it is, yeah. And they've got another move for, for the small employers that we mentioned earlier, is that that co-investment where the small employers were having to pay up to, te- uh, were having to pay 10% of the cost of that training. Sure. The government have now reduced that down to 5%, so meaning that the government will pay 95% of the cost of the training of apprentices. So in theory, it should mean there's more opportunities for payroll apprentices in particular, yep. because small businesses Absolutely. will be able to fund them more easily, more readily. Yes. Uh, yep. But also it's good for the payroll apprentices, because of course the national minimum wage and apprenticeship rates have gone up. And the apprentice, apprentice rate is currently it's at £3.70. Uh, from April 2019, that's gone up by 5.4% to £3.90. Exactly. So so, Good news all round for apprentices. Tith, yeah. Fantastic. Um, now, obviously, with the number of new apprentices falling below the numbers that were probably hoped for when the apprenticeship levy was introduced, obviously these changes are welcome. What, what's, what's the CIPP's policy take overall in terms of how the apprenticeship levy and scheme is working? I, I think it's sort of widely accepted that they haven't, been as many apprentices as the government would have hoped for when they, when they brought in the apprentice levy. We know that the government is now going to um, have another consultation to, to uh, consult with businesses about changes to the levy. How can we uh, encourage the, the take-up of even more apprentices? Sure. Because um, a, a, back in the day, uh, you know, apprentices used to be the ones that, you know, polish the cars or swept the pl- floors sure. or whatever. These days, an apprenticeship is a good quality, uh, a good standard of training where they get a qualification at the end. It's got to go through a proper framework and they really are, um, you know, the, a, a good basis for, for people as they start out in their employment career. Now, I know basically from doing a podcast already on a pair of apprenticeship schemes with Ian Holloway, that a lot of work has gone into having a really robust, solid and a reputable payroll apprenticeship scheme out mm-hmm. there for payroll professionals, which mm-hmm. is great. But often when something isn't taken up, it's usually down to either marketing, so people don't know it exists, mm-hmm. or it's due to knowledge where people don't know how to get the best out of it, or they think it's too confusing, or where don't know where to get started. Yeah. Which do you think is the bigger contributor, if you like, to the fact that they haven't quite got the numbers they were hoping for? Um, if there are any businesses out there who are looking at wanting to take on a payroll apprentice or any other kind of apprentice, if they go on to gov.uk um, slash apply dash apprenticeship, okay. then that will um, pr- uh, bring up a list of all the organisations and the um, apprenticeship training that that they are offering so people can can access it through that way fantastic i'll make sure there's a link in the episode notes so anyone interested in the apprenticeship scheme particularly with the new budget allowing you to uh, offset more of the cost now down to five percent instead of ten percent it might be worth taking a look at so i'll put the uh, the link to find an apprenticeship in the episode notes of the podcast mm. brilliant now i know following the cons- uh, consultations the cip have had Uh, which I think we held during the summer, uh, which was on tax and administrative treatment of short-term business visitors. Yes. There have been some improvements made to the PAYE special arrangements. Essentially, businesses with with 
um, a, a site overseas yep. might have a subsidiary overseas or they might have a branch overseas. And that distinction made a huge difference to the way that any of their uh, visitors from one of those sites to the UK was taxed. Okay. And so uh, essentially what the uh, government was looking to do was to extend the arrangements from those who were working uh, in a subsidiary overseas, they were extending that to those who were working in a branch overseas. So the workday rule, so the number of, of days that they can be over here, yeah. has been increased from 30 days to 60 days. Okay. Which doesn't sound a lot until you think actually it's been doubled. It's doubled, yeah. So then that's, you know, it is a significant increase. And the existing page reporting and payment deadlines, so you've got the 19th of April and the 22nd of April, they're going to be changed uh, and extended out to the 31st of May because it's always been difficult for employers to get all the information in on time. The tax year sure. ends on the on the 5th of April and trying to get everything in so in a fortnight. It gives them a bit more time. It gives them about six weeks. Does it so. give them enough? Does, has it gone far enough in your um, view? No. Okay. Um, it never does though, does it? Does it? There's so much data now, that's the Absolutely. problem. Absolutely. Getting more yes. data driven. Yes, and um, we we are uh, expecting a consultation on this. Okay, and when that comes out, then we will be be lobbying again because it's good that we've got some uh, advancement, if you like, but they could really go a lot further to ease the admin burden that, that still exists around So progress, us. but not quite enough yet. So it's good to see the CIPP will be at the forefront of that consultation to try and push that back a little bit further. Yes. So what are the uh, effects of the budget going to be on national insurance contributions? Um, the usual changes so we've got increases to the lower earnings limit so that's going up to 118 pounds from 116 pounds yep. so that's that's in in line with what we would expect the weekly primary and secondary thresholds that's going they're going up from 162 pounds to 166 pounds and then the upper earnings limit the UEL which happily happens to be the same as the UST and the AUST they're all going up from 892 pounds to 962 pounds great but NIC rates remain unchanged yeah fantastic how about on the employment allowance well this was an interesting one because the employment allowance when it came in it was originally 2000 pounds got increased to 3000 pounds and it applied to every employer regardless of size and uh, what the chancellor has said is that um, really for the larger employers it was no real incentive it was so small in comparison with with their pay bill that uh, it wasn't really going to encourage them to hire new staff which was the original intention behind it so it's now going to be restricted now to organizations with a national insurance bill of under a hundred thousand pounds in the previous tax year so really just bringing it down the focus is on those who will benefit from it most. which is great um, it sounds like this is one of the rabbit in the hats you perhaps weren't expecting then absolutely yes yes he he did say that he'd bunnies had been escaping yes. but this was one that uh, <laughs> stayed hidden. in the hats oh well, there we go yes. good news and i know there were some changes to the national insurance contributions bill the um 
The National Insurance Bill, the changes to Class 2, um, these were one of the ones where we had to have a U-turn when originally uh, the Conservative Party manifesto said that there wouldn't be any changes yeah. and then um, in his budget, Philip Hammond was going to abolish Class 2 and there was a furore about it and so we had the U-turn and it then got put into the draft national insurance bill but it's not going to take place because everyone thinks that it would have an adverse impact on the lowest earning self-employed individuals. So anything was to, to change in the next budget next year would you will you will the CIPP be involved in any consultations regarding this we wouldn't usually get involved in class two okay because it it has more of an effect on you know it's self-employed individuals so if we get involved if there is any impact on uh, on on payroll this one doesn't specifically but we do know that uh, we're now looking to see details about how Class 1A national insurance is going to be brought on for termination payments. It's been lurking for, for uh, such a long time. We were expecting it in the... Uh, it was originally intended that it was going to come in for this current tax year, and uh, it's not in software, so there's, the, okay. the, the, there's uh, been a lot of debate. So now we want to see um, exactly where this one's going to go. I think it'll be an interesting podcast to do in the future of all the things that are lurking under the surface that may or may not come out. I sense yes. there's more yes. than Don't more look than under the bed. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so we've touched upon the changes, the positive changes to national minimum wage and national living wage. We've got the exact amounts, how some of those will change. I mentioned the apprentice rate um, increasing from 370 as it is currently to £3.90. Mm. Can you give us a little more detail on some of the other changes? Mm. Like I said before, it's it's very interesting that when the national living wage was first introduced, there was always with the intention that uh, by April 2020, the national living wage would reach 60% of median earnings. And that seemed just forever away. Sure. And it seemed very uh, unlikely that it would ever be achieved. But now, based on the estimates of, of how earnings are rising and everything, the uh, Low Pay Commission thinks that we will reach that target. That They, they think that the 60% of median uh, earnings will be £8.62 in 2020 and given that from um, next April we'll be at £8.21 sure. um, then you know it's it's quite close and it looks like we will we will get to that so from April 2019 as I've said national living wage will be £8.21 that's an increase from £7.83 so 4.9% increase yes um, for the uh, 21 to 24 year olds they've got a 4.3% increase, so that's going up to £7.70. That's from £7.38. Mm-hmm. Um, 18 to 20 year olds, they will be getting £6.15, which has gone up from £5.90. That's a 4.2% increase. Mm. 16 and 17 year olds will go up to £4.35. And that's from £4.20, and that's that's the smallest increase of them all, at 3.6%, but still noticeable difference if you're 16 to 17 years old absolutely and and picking up on that point if we look at the apprentices they've actually although they earn the lowest they've got the highest increase yeah so um they're going up uh, 20 pence from three pounds 70 to three pounds 90 that's 5.4 percent mm. great 
So we, we are expecting the LOPEC mission report that's, that's looked at all these different areas. That's what underpins all the analysis. Absolutely, yeah. it does. And they, they always look at the much wider picture, uh, you know, how uh, employment trends of young people or sure. apprentices are. If we've done this, has there been a knock-on effect? Even down to things like, well, if we've uh, increased the national living wage, has it affected the number of benefits that you can pay to employees? Um, this is part of, a slight, for me, a slightly bigger issue, or not issue, a bigger... Um, um, strategic element of how the, pale, the role of the professional is changing because this is where you can use a lot of that statistical data Absolutely. to drive broad level reporting. Absolutely. You know, how many apprentices are we taking on? How many people do we have in each of these brackets? How mm. are these changes going to affect the total cost of our payroll function? Absolutely. You know, should we be recruiting more at different levels? Yeah. Because our wage bill is going to go up by X or by Y mm. and really using that statistical reporting to, to drive changes at a, at a strategic level, board level. Absolutely um, and, so. You know, data's, more data now than ever and now is a really good opportunity for you know, payroll departments to, 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 to grab their voice and, and use it. And you mentioned benefits there and how it can impact. Yes. Yeah, the, the, the whole reward package and payroll holds that data, as you said, um, to, to, to help uh, influence the, the directions and the strategies that, that businesses take moving forward and it's incredibly important we really really need to see um, that, that drive forward really with, with the realisation that payroll does hold you know, the, the, the data that matters sure, sure, great, fantastic Einstein famously said that insanity was doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results we believe it's time to try a new approach to recruitment JGA Recruitment specialise in recruiting the top 15% of payroll and HR talent using innovative 24-7 attraction strategies that are proven to improve quality of higher candidate retention and return on investment de-risk your recruitment process today and hire better talent faster with JGA Recruitment. Visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. Now, you mentioned, or we mentioned at the start of this, that IR35 could be a podcast in itself. Mm-hmm. But of course, there have been some changes to off-payroll working in the private sector that uh, that Philip Hammond has discussed in the budget. Can you, I guess, without making it an hour-long podcast, it could be sort of summarise some of the things that he mentioned that are going to impact payroll functions, impact the, the, the IR35? Yeah. Um, Essentially, the IR35 legislation has been around for years and years and years and years. And individuals, contractors operate under a personal services contract and they will then you know be contracted by an organization to fulfill a certain amount of work under certain circumstances the amount of control that the employer or the or the, or the business that they're providing services to sure um has over the way how where when they undertake that work to all intents and purposes they could be an employee yeah. And the reason this makes a difference is because if they were an employee, they would pay tax, tax. and national insurance through sure. payroll. And as a contractor, they would, they would take care of their own tax yes. and national insurance contributions. And so the government has, for a long time, uh, had this under the microscope and they're wanting to um, balance things up a little bit, saying, well, if people are doing the same work, they should pay the same tax and national insurance. 
So in April 2017, these contractors that were going to do work for public sector bodies, the contractors were no longer able to say whether they wanted to be treated as self-employed or not. It's down for the public sector body to go through a series of, of tests. There was a yeah. new tool that had been provided, um, and depending on the answers to the questions that this tool went through, determined whether or not for, the, for this particular element of work, the worker uh, should have paid you earn a national insurance deducted from the amount that they've been paid. They weren't an employee, but purely sure. for tax and national insurance purposes, it went through the Closing the that tax avoidance gap. Absolutely. And it was, it was only a matter of time. We did, we did say to people, just because you're private sector, you can't ignore this. Yeah. It, it, will, it will come. And it did. And uh, there's been a consultation that has looked at various options, recognising that the private sector is different uh, in, in some ways. And anyway, yesterday, uh, Philip Hammond has announced that, yes, it is coming into the private sector, but they've learnt a little. And so instead of bringing the changes in uh, next April, they will come in from April 2020 so that they can get time to do sure. it properly, take the time, make sure that they explore everything properly. And that it will only come in for the largest businesses. So small businesses won't have to go through this process. The contractors will still carry on as they are now. And the government reckons that that would be meaning that about 95% of businesses won't be affected and, yeah. they, and they can carry on. The tool that is used to ask various questions and the answer comes out the other end, that is also going to be looked at and hopefully improved so that it's it's a much more reliable indicator of uh, whether they should go through the payroll or not. Sure, mm. okay, great. And what's the, what's the CRPP take on on the changes positive is it a start i mean it's very rare you get any time to make changes so the fact they're announcing it for 2020 is a nice a nice thing for the government not to be throwing it on you with no word of warning whatsoever absolutely um when when it came out for the public sector there were we, we were um very very critical really um of the short time frame didn't help that it came in with with all other else. things yeah. as well, yeah, and, and everything. The guidance was very late, the uh, specifications for software was very late, and it, and it really, really was, was a, a, a difficult period. And we have been lobbying the revenue um, in stakeholder forums, but in private meetings as well to say, you know, uh, you really, really, if you want something in and you want something to work, then then let's make sure that let's we do it properly. it properly. Absolutely. We don't have ministerial oversight, but maybe Philip Hammond is listening at the top and saying, OK, let's take a little uh, bit more time. Absolutely. Approach. It, it would be nice to think that, and we know, let's be honest, there are, there are people within HMRC who feel the same because if sure. they've been working on something then they want it to work properly as well sure so for the budget what are the changes or, or the points of reference we need to mention in relation to parental bereavement leave and pay we, we we knew that this was going to come in so from april 2020 parents who have had um, a, a child under the age of 18 who's died will be able to take two weeks of parental bereavement leave. If there's been stillbirth after 24 weeks, then they will also be able to take this parental bereavement leave as well. Which I think is a really positive, Absolutely. positive thing. Absolutely, yes. 
How about pensions and savings? There's obviously a lot to get through. We've got lifetime allowances, starting rates for savings, individual savings, child trust funds, and so on and so forth. Can you yeah. give us some of the, 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 the key points? Uh, key points, the lifetime allowance for pension savings, that's going up to uh, £1,055,000 for 2019-20. So that's a, an in-line with CPI yep. increase. Starting rate for savings, so that's the band of savings that's subject to 0%, will be kept at its current level of £5,000. And the individual savings account, the ISA annual subscription limit for 2019-20, will remain unchanged at £20,000. Great, great. How about child trust funds? Child trust funds, we're going to have a consultation on that okay. in 2019. So we're going to be having a consultation on the draft regulations for maturing tri- child trust fund accounts. The annual subscription limit for child trust funds for 1920 is going to be uprated in line with CPI for uh, to £4,368. But there has been a change to premium bonds which you can give to a child which I thought was quite interesting and a, and a, and a, and a positive one it's not just parents and grandparents can gift premium bonds yes and, and now I find this very interesting actually because national savings and investments bonds I mean yes. they're, they're it's quite old something school. so traditional it is, it is exactly it's like they're trying to keep the candle alive and they're making it because now anyone can uh... absolutely yeah um, so anyone not just parents and grandparents can give premium bonds to a child so over Christmas people can start expecting a premium bond voucher instead of a gift or cash or book tokens who would have thought that in 2018 there you go ready and for present from auntie yes and we're going to get a new app as well yes yes so the the idea is that just as we've been saying it's it's bringing premium bonds into the into the 21st century i think i think there it sounds like there's a lot of investment in digital and dashboards and there's a, a really i was quite excited to read this one which is on pension dashboards which mm. is something coming in so you can actually see well i'll let you explain well Yes, you've got to read the wording very carefully because there's been a call for a pension dashboard for a long time. We, we, with the, the government's move to encourage everybody to save for their pensions, yes. everybody starting work as long as the certain eligibility criteria will be automatically enrolled into a pension anyway. But that could mean that by the time people are nearing retirement, they've got little pension pots all over the place and trying to keep track of them sure. could be an absolute nightmare. So there's been a call for a long time to have a pensions dashboard. And where people like to know what they say. They like absolutely. to be able to log in and go, okay, this yes. is what I've done. Yes. Yeah. Well, if you've, got, if you've got little pots here and there, they might feel insignificant. But when you can look on a dashboard sure. and see everything all together, it, it gives you a much and much better picture. Now, what we've, we, we know is that the government is supporting the launch of a pensions dashboard. But what they're wanting is they, they're wanting to see how an industry-led approach. Okay. So they're not going to bring it in themselves. I see. This is where the devil's in the detail. Yes. It sounds good until you read the finer print. Yes. Okay. But they're all behind. They're supportive of Yes, it. Okay. yes. So what we have to get is the pensions industry working together to, to see if they can come up with something. And to be fair, I know that there is support amongst that, but you know, you, you've got to get a lot of people together to, to make sure. this happen. Sure. But DWP do support that. 
Great. Now, you mentioned a little bit in relation to R35 that the government has been quite clear about it trying to close the gap on tax avoidance and evasion. Yeah. What were the highlights from the budget mm-hmm. that you picked out on in relation to, to tax avoidance? We, the, the tax avoidance is the, is the one that hits the headlines and it's the one where the head of the revenue ends up before the public accounts sure. committee or, or whatever. So we, we know that they do have to start really focusing down on it. So one of the measures that the Chancellor announced yesterday was to prevent abuse of the payable credit for research and development tax relief for small and medium enterprises. From the 1st of April 2020, the amount of payable R&D tax credit that a qualifying loss-making company can receive in any tax year is going to be restricted to three times the company's total page and national insurance okay. liability for that year so what's that what that's going to do is make sure that that relief is robust against identified abuse so including fraud and following the prevention by hmrc of fraudulent claims worth up to 300 million pounds so we're, we're going to get a consultation on that because this isn't going to be something that's sure. that's that's straightforward but that is uh, r&d is is crucial to a lot of industries so that will be important we've got an issue about insolvency so where tax is paid in good faith by employees and customers and then temporarily held in trust by businesses so that can even be if your employer has taken off the page when national insurance but hasn't yet paid it over what the chancellor has said is that those taxes will then go to fund public services rather than being distributed to other creditors but it will only apply to taxes collected on behalf of other taxpayers so it will only apply for VAT or Pageworn, employee national insurance that kind of thing interestingly won't apply for employers national insurance because that's not on behalf of anybody else that is the employer's okay. liability but presumably would include cis so a construction industry industry exactly. scheme deductions as yeah well. because yeah. they've been they've been taken off somebody else great we have also focusing on insolvency directors and other persons who are involved in tax avoidance or evasion that's even worse or phoenixism will be jointly and severally liable for the company tax liabilities where there's a risk that the company may deliberately enter insolvency to avoid paying sure but that makes sense absolutely it does so what about digital services or DST? So I know that the government has introduced a new 2% tax on revenues of certain digital businesses, and these are the, the huge businesses out there, to ensure the amount of tax paid in the UK is reflective of the value they derive from UK users, which I think is quite interesting, seeing as uh, Nick Clegg has recently been made Facebook's global affairs and communications chief. He's going to be someone who, presumably at Facebook, will be part of a business paying the additional 2%. Uh... Tell us a little bit more about yes, I think so. Digital services um, tax. The the digital services tax is only going to apply to the big boys. Sure. So like Facebook, Facebook Amazon, Google, Google. Uh, exactly. Those businesses that have hit the headlines, they are always very keen to tell us that they have paid exactly what they are supposed to pay in that country, and they've stuck to the letter of the law. Sure. And I think perhaps that's where the the, the issue lies. So the UK has been very keen that addressing this issue can't be done unilaterally. It has to be done on a global basis. But it feels a little bit like 
we've been knocking but nobody's been listening so the government has decided okay then we're going to pave the way and we're going to start that ball rolling so from april 2020 the government's going to introduce a new two percent tax on the revenues of uh, certain digital businesses to make sure that the amount of tax that they do pay in the UK it reflects the value of, of the income that, that, sure. that, they, that they make here. Now it's really important to say right from the off that we are looking at the big boys. So it only applies to those groups that generate global revenues in excess of £500 million a year. So they're very keen that the little startup companies and the sure. smaller businesses that they're not wanting to to address them. And this is to come into effect in April twenty twenty. April twenty twenty. Yes, um, and I'm sure that behind the scenes, the government will then be be seeing if they can extend it and get more countries across the world to join sure. in because of course. That's the whole point, isn't it? That if they're taxed in one country, we don't want them to just go somewhere Absolutely else. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Yeah. And I think, it, I think it makes sense. This is, it's a sign at the end that the world is changing. Absolutely, um, yeah. So I think it's a positive change. Yeah, so we, we're going to get a consultation on that as well, but that, that's definitely going to be an interesting one to watch, I think. We've covered universal credits uh, in the beginning part of the podcast. We know, obviously, they've been dominating news bulletins over the past few weeks. Is there any additional points you want to mention in relation to universal credits? So as an industry, payroll has an interest in this really because the information that we provide ultimately affects what someone receives in in benefits later on down the line. But it's just the principle is great, but somehow or other there just seems to be these overwhelming problems with, with how it's been adopted so it's good that the work allowance is is increasing for those people that that need it most we've got the transition into universal credit what's going to be interesting now is to see how it works with uh, you know the the earnings fluctuating and and whether there are workers who are affected from that perspective as well so it's one to keep an eye on so you'll be watching that any changes closely over the coming months absolutely Excellent. What are some of the other areas of interest within the budget that perhaps I haven't highlighted that you think is important to to bring um, to the table? One thing that was interesting in the budget yesterday was was Brexit. Um, it's something like the elephant in the room, really. Yeah. We all knew that it, you know we don't know whether we're going to get the deal or the no deal. It's the reason it was brought forward by three months as well, wasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. So it, it actually, to be, although we all knew that Brexit was the elephant in the room, it wasn't really referred to very often. in in the budget yesterday but one area that it was mentioned was when we're talking about the VAT registration threshold because there is this big cliff edge as to you you, you're not registered for VAT you're not registered for VAT and then now there comes a certain point where you're registered for VAT and then there's it has this significant impact and so the the government has been looking for a, a while now to see whether that 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 cliff edge as, as philip hammond referred to it could be uh, limited sure but under eu law the options are very limited actually essentially what they're saying is there's not a lot we can do while we're part of the eu so the vat threshold which is eighty five thousand pounds is staying as it is until april 2022 Okay. And then at that point, the government's going to look at the possibility of having a smoothing mechanism. So post Brexit, uh, assuming this all goes through. Exactly. I see. Yes. That makes sense. 
I know that uh, some of the at a glance sort of headlines that I saw, and just to, to summarise some of the points you've mentioned today, I know that we've, we've talked about the income tax allowance rising to twelve thousand five hundred from April two thousand nineteen, which is mm-hmm. a positive change, mm-hmm. and also a higher rate income tax threshold will be rising to fifty thousand at the same time. So that's both coming a year earlier. We've talked about the national living wage increasing by four point nine percent, so up to eight pound twenty one an hour, mm-hmm. also from April nineteen, and. Obviously, the digital services tax, which is going to be introduced in April 2020, which is going to be an additional 2%. It's going to really target online giants, you know, some of the names we've mentioned that are, that are making more than 500 million a year. What are other areas of interest that you would like to highlight? I know that you picked up a couple of points pre-podcast when we were chatting about management capability and the way that the budget sort of backs entrepreneurs as well. Yeah, the budget was very heavily focused really on helping business, specifically helping small businesses. And so the Chancellor brought in uh, or announced a range of measures. And so we've got different areas here for small business. Yes, we've got the management capability. So what they were looking at is that (laughs) there was an industry strategy, business productivity review, and the uh, findings from that are that what they want to do is uh, support management capability so that uh, businesses can improve the productivity. Essentially, you know, help businesses sure. to improve things so that they can increase productivity. So there's going to be a small business leadership program delivered in partnership with business schools, leading businesses across England. There'll be 2,000 places delivered in 2019-20 with the ambition of training uh, 10,000 people by uh, 2025. Could this have an impact on payroll leaders? Potentially so, yeah, because the the payroll world is very much moving um, and it more from just being a, an operational sure. function into much more of a, a of a strategic role, really. And so that you know, it's much more well employee be. focused now as well. Absolutely, so this may be something that has a direct impact on the payroll, either future leaders or existing leaders Absolutely. potentially. Yeah. Which yep. is good. And then we've also got an investment of up to £25 million to boost business productivity through knowledge transfer partnership scheme. So the, the plan is to put over 200 additional graduates and academics with relevant skills skills into firms so that they can um, translate what they've done as an academic project or, sure. or piece of work into practical business growth. And then there's, there's also the intention to invest £20 million to support local peer-to-peer networks focused on business improvements so that business leaders can start to share expertise on leadership, business development, tele- technology ad- adoption. And that, well, I'm a, and that I'm a big fan of, of networking, so if they can invest and support that, it's a good thing. I still think payroll people could network more and use you know, the, not, the huge amount of knowledge payroll professionals have. Yeah. To great effect if they all kind of all bring it together, you know, whether that's through LinkedIn or through face to face consultations or meetings with the CRBP. But um Absolutely. That's, that's yeah. positive. And if we carry on looking at the the support for small businesses, the government is wanting to work in partnership with banks, professional services, technology companies to support the productivity of small business customers. So what they're wanting to do is improve their customer experience for businesses who are accessing online government information services. So essentially, you know, all these big organisations link up together so that the small business gets, you know, finds it much easier to get through. Which is great, and hopefully all those things will help 
help the UK to continue to grow, in mm. which you know, there's a lot of uncertainty with Brexit coming up and we want it to grow and prosper and, and build a solid um, you know, economy. So hopefully these things will play a part in contributing to that. Some of the other highlights that um, we've mentioned again through this, just to reiterate through the podcast that Helen's brought to light, is that the fuel duty will be frozen for what is going to be a ninth year yeah. in a row, yeah. which um, I was a little bit surprised about, if mm. I'm honest. Mm. And for those that work in payroll, you'll be really pleased to hear that duty on beer, cider and spirits <laughs> are going to be frozen for another year as well. Well, again, that was a bit of a, a shock to me. But we all know Pearl, a lot of Pearl people like their wine and probably need it working in Pearl do. So we've talked about smaller firms' contribution to apprenticeship levies are being cut from 10% to 5%, which is a really positive change, particularly for those interested in taking on payroll apprentices. And I will put a link in the episode notes as to where you can find mm-hmm. a good apprenticeship training provider. One interesting piece of news I did see, though, and this may affect businesses, I don't know, that, that if you're payrolling for them, is there's going to be a mandatory business rate relief for all toilets available for public use. Both yes. publicly and privately owned, which I thought was quite interesting. Yes, we were back to the toilet, toilet humour. humour. I think it's, we've gone full circle. We've <laughs> yes. started there. We've finished, well, pretty much finished there as well. So. <laughs> but there were some other headline budget announcements, which probably aren't so relevant for the payroll industry. And Helen's highlighted a couple of these in the CIPP budget report, which I think is going to be sent out to members. One of those is a new 26 to 30 rail card, which is going to be introduced by the end of 2018, which will offer one-third discount subject to a minimum £12 fare in the morning peak to around 4.4 million 26 to 30 miles in England, Scotland and Wales. Mm. They're going to make it easier for people to claim compensation so the budget confirmed a more streamlined process for compensating passengers affected by rail delays and for those that still get a lot of nuisance phone calls the the government's going to try and tackle nuisance calls and, uh, with national trading standards which will receive further funding to extend their projects providing telephone call blocking technology to vulnerable people and last but not least just to bring it back to pensions although it's not directly relevant if you're processing them i wasn't aware of this but you mentioned there's going to be a slight change to the banning of pensions cold calling helen mm. Following pensions freedoms, when people have been able to access the pensions parts, there's been a huge increase in the number of cold callers trying to get people to invest their hard-earned pension pot in uh, some scam or other. So to help protect people from fraudsters, the government is about to publish a response to the consultation that came out earlier on in the year to make pension cold calling illegal. Great. Excellent. Only be a positive thing and probably couldn't come soon enough. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I think that pretty much summarises the key points of the budget from, from yesterday's meeting. If you have any questions, obviously, please contact Helen. Absolutely. She is the person, the go-to person at the CIPP for anything related to policy. And I'm sure she'll be happy to help with the request. I'll put some links in the episode notes as to how you can go about contacting the policy team. Yep. Should you have any questions on the budget? And I do believe there is a, a summary of the budget 2018, which is going to be going it's out on, to your... It's members. on our website. It's already and it, on your website. And it went out in the news email this morning. Fantastic. There you, go. you heard it here first. So please do have a look at the website. Or if you haven't received it by email, go to the website. I'll put a link in the episode notes where you can access it at your own leisure. Mm. Fabulous. Well, thanks so much for joining us for this special podcast. Thank you for uh, being with me as we talk through it. That's fantastic. And the next episode of the Pearl Podcast will be out on next Sunday. Uh, So please stay tuned for that. And if you haven't already subscribed to the Pearl Podcast, please do so. If you can subscribe, share, like, uh, review it if you can on any of the major sites, be it Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, please do so. We need your support. It's a not-for-profit podcast. And hopefully that means we can keep generating some great content with some really good industry leaders like Helen I have by my side here. So please do support us. Please do like, share, review. And I'll be speaking to you all again in a couple of weeks. Thank you, Nick. 
You've been listening to the Payroll Podcast with Nick Day of JGA Recruitment, specialist payroll recruiters. If you would like to feature on a future podcast, please contact us. For a wealth of world-class payroll content, please visit us at jgarecruitment.com. See you next week. Thank you.